Hello, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we speak with nonprofit thought leaders and change makers about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, I'm speaking with Smita Vondekekalam, COO of Heller Consulting. Since 1998, Smita has been working on the front line of the nonprofit sector, helping organizations with fundraising technology strategy and operations streamlining. She's worked with hundreds of nonprofits implementing strong business practices, technology, and change management strategies. Today, Smita will share her experience that she's earned from working with hundreds of nonprofits on database migrations, as well as Heller's new white paper on what to consider before you replace your CRM. So Smita, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on to talk about CRMs and to replace or not to replace, which feels like the eternal question for those of us who deal with databases. Um, But thank you again for joining. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Excited to talk about this stuff. I know. And, you know, in full disclosure, you and I met from a database big project. So it seems only fitting that this is the topic that's bringing us together for the podcast today. Uh, But you and your team at Heller were absolutely instrumental to me not going completely gray when we were changing (laughs) over the database at the ASPCA, which feels like a very long time ago. (laughs) I know. Well, I'm grateful for meeting you. And so that's (laughs) wonderful. I always say that project is um, just about as old. It's actually slightly older than my youngest child. So we're going on seven years now. Oh, that's right. (laughs) How sweet. Able to date that project. Yep. All right. So, um, you know, this this topic, I think there's so much here. Um, And as I was reading through your paper and just reflecting on my own experience with it, I sort of had a little laugh that, you know, if you want an earful sometime, ask a fundraiser about their database Mm -hmm. and their database woes, and you will you will get it. People have tons of opinions and thoughts and gripes about their database. And, you know, you've seen thousands of organizations go through this change. And there's lots of reasons why an organization might want to change their CRM. Maybe you can talk about some of the main ones that you've heard. Sure. Yeah, there's lots of reasons. And there's never one single reason, I would say. Sometimes it's a combination of these reasons. But what comes to mind usually, I'm going to probably the most popular um, would be their old system is sunsetting, no longer supported. That tends to get organizations to urgently replace their CRM. Sometimes there's frustration with the legacy system where maybe the product they have, that technology is not innovating or changing or improving, you know, with the time. So, and there's also this maybe they're sick of the relationship with that vendor. It's just not going anywhere. So um, sometimes that's a reason. And there's something new offered in the market for many, many years. There was really very few options. And it's really interesting in the last 10 years, we have so many more. So that's also a reason for um, organizations changing. Another reason I hear a lot is maybe there's someone at the organization who has a vision for the organization wide to share data across departments, across the system, and for that end goal of enhancing relationships with their constituents, to have a broad vision and a long-term vision for this. So we're seeing a lot of that too. I would call it that CRM vision and strategy, and that's usually a, a reason of maybe slowly replacing your existing system so they can meet that long-term vision of um, an organization sharing systems and sharing data. 
across our platform. Another reason is sometimes, and this is a really good one, is there are organizations who have a legacy homegrown system, something uh, that maybe someone, a volunteer at their organization or maybe you know a one-person shop designed 30 years ago. And it's something they've had forever. And it's kind of been born organically uh, for one purpose, maybe for like one department. Um, let's say it's to manage volunteers. And then from that, because it was homegrown, as the organization grew, they sort of just, things just built on top of that, but not in really any kind of systematic or logical database design way. So it's very messy and that maybe that person who designed it is no longer there and they know that that's a very risky situation. Oh my goodness. I can't, I, I can only imagine the homegrown <laughs> system. But, but, you know, the CRM and the database is an issue that cuts across organizations regardless of their size. So that makes perfect sense that you've seen the gamut. When, when you sort of weigh all those reasons, are there any that are, you know, more legitimate uh, or more important than the others when considering making that change? Yeah, I mean, I'll say that I think when you have a system that's sunsetting or no longer supported, that's usually a really, you know, you know at some point you're not going to be supported and at some point you're going to have to leave. So it's about maybe is it the right time for your organization? It's really about timing. You're going to have to leave. When is the right time? I think that example I gave about the homegrown system, that's a very risky situation for an organization to be in. So that to me is the most telling of, yes, leave as soon as you can, because at any point that system can go down and you have nothing. You don't even have institutional knowledge at times, you know, for the person who built it. I think also I'll mention the reasons that are not as great that I didn't mention. You know, I do think I've seen this happen where maybe because there are so many great products out there that you get sort of attracted by that new shiny thing. And there's no really other reason than being okay. sold that new shiny object. Or what I've seen sometimes is that maybe, you know, there's a lot of turnover in the nonprofit world, especially in fundraising. So maybe a leader use a system in another organization and come to this new organization. They kind of want to make a name for themselves and say, wait, I'm used to that other system. So let's implement it without really thinking about where they're at now. Is it, you know, what about your stakeholders internally? Does it make sense? So that's not the best reason. And sometimes also it's just a reason folks, you know, state is that what we're doing could be improved, you know, our business processes, we're not taking advantage of the system to, you know, meet our fundraising goals, we could be raising more money. And that's a complicated one in itself, because in that situation, yeah, sometimes it is better to move to that new, a new CRM, but sometimes actually it's not. You have lots of opportunity to you know, take a look at the root of the problem and look at your processes, look at your fundraising strategies and see, you know, it's not necessarily the technology, but maybe other things that you can work on. Yeah, I think you guys rightly pointed out in this that technology is usually not 100% of the problem. There's usually something else going on there. And you've certainly worked with enough groups to, to have seen that. You also mentioned in the or Heller mentioned in the paper that there's three major CRM pain points. And I'm curious if you want to maybe talk a little bit about those and what you think gets most overlooked in some of these conversations about pain points. Mm, yeah, so what we would sometimes call discovery process, 
when we're, you know, that initial phase of a project, when we're, you know, implementing a new system, we usually the focus is what don't you like? What are the pain points? And that's natural that people focus on that. You know, what I don't like, or also what I wish the new system would do. The thing that does get missed at times is the stuff that happens pretty well and you take it for granted. Do you know those business processes? Yeah, that because it's not necessarily in the conversation of a pain point because it's just it's just happening. It's compliance sometimes. Sometimes it's reconciliation, you know, your reconciliation process with finance. It's a process heavy compliance stuff that happens in the background. But if that didn't happen, that's almost mission critical, right? So it's really critical in those conversations to make sure the, that doesn't get met, missed. That's so important. I mean, those those things should become your list of have to haves. Yes. Even if it doesn't look the same way, these are the things that the system absolutely has to do because you're completely taking them for granted, which means it's working. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because it gets missed. It's not a pain point necessarily at times, or and it's not necessarily on your wish list of ways to improve, you know, things you would like in a new system. So. So when you're doing the discovery process, making sure that you're giving equal time, equal airtime to talking about the things that are working well with all the various stakeholders. And I imagine part of that as well is making sure you're getting all those stakeholders in the room to hear about it. Exactly. And I think that's it's on the part. So I'm going to speak from the implementation consultant partner. So it's, I think, on both parties, the organization itself to make sure you're saying all these things, but also the prompting the right questions should come from the consultant to make sure, you know, sometimes I can understand where you might miss an area because it's just so, it's just running in the background. So I think it is also the responsibility of that third party or that consultant to make sure they're asking about those processes and asking the right questions. Yeah, I was going to ask you about what is the value of having that sort of neutral third party in the room? And I I think you just touched on it well, but are there other parts, are there other benefits to having an outsider, even if it's maybe not a consultant, but just someone more neutral within the organization leading that process? Yes, I think for one of those reasons, as we just discussed is, so a third party person hopefully has a you know, breadth of seeing this across many organizations and some of the, you know, must have of those, like those processes we take for granted, but are absolutely critical, making sure they're covered, you know, um, kind of having a checklist of like, did we talk about, you know, audit controls or, you know, reconciliation and how that works with your GL and all those are just examples. I think also if you're going through a solution selection process, you're gathering information about what you need in a new system and you're evaluating what your you know choices are i think it's also helpful to have someone and usually that's an outside party but a perspective of how and what are these companies you know how are they doing what are their long term what are their strategic goals as a company because that plays a really important factor into what you know, solution you select because that's a now, as you know, Alicia, right? A long-term relationship you're establishing with that vendor. Yep. So I think that more industry knowledge, you know, of, okay, so here's a little breakdown of say this company X, this is what they've done in the past. This is how they, you know, these are their growth plans. This is how they're, this is what we foresee with this company and how they're going to, you know, handle the following. So I think that can be valuable 
and it is important to take into consideration. I think just having an outside person is helpful, whether that be a consultant or just an outside person who, you know, seeing the, now I'm horrible with analogies, seeing the forest from the trees. Yeah, you got it. Forest. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, when you're so in it, embedded, and this is your job, and this is what you do to have somebody else kind of walk through an entire process, ask those like basic questions that you wouldn't even think of, you know, asking if you're doing, you know, that's it's a process you take for granted, you know, you do it every day. So having an outsider or a third party just ask the very, very simple, basic questions. Sometimes those are very powerful because they identify something, you know, maybe the root of a problem, actually, you know, so I think that's a, a helpful exercise. Well, and going talking about the root of the problem on that too, when when the you guys outlined those three major CRM areas where you hear problems, these undocumented business processes, a lack of reports and dashboards, an incorrect coding structure. I mean, very little of that in most cases is going to be tied directly to the technology. It's either a user error or an admin error or what you know what was taken into account in the discovery in terms of things that were priorities errors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's always interesting to discover for sure. <laughs> interesting is a heavy word, but yes. <laughs> I think you guys had a good a couple of good analogies in there, also describing a CRM project being akin to home improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, making some of these changes to address pain points might be like remodeling your kitchen. It's a headache, but the house is still functioning. But changing your whole CRM could be like raising the thing to the ground and building over again, which Mm -hmm. is a huge undertaking. So, I mean, are there other uh, indicators of readiness if your organization is, is ready to undertake such a big change? Yeah. I mean, I like that analogy. It's funny. We use that analogy a lot. We all can kind of relate to that, you know, from, I would say um, that organizational readiness, you know, some, I think, you know, as a, practice, we've learned a bit more about how much organizational culture plays into this. I think like, I can even say for myself, because I've been with doing this for 15 years, the consulting side of things. And in the beginning, you kind of focus on the operational aspect of this, the technical requirements. But now we, um, and this is the field of change management, we could put a word to it, but really asking questions like, is your organization ready, ready to make this change? And nowadays we're talking about, you know, a CRM implementation is a major time uh, investment, financial investment. So some of the like larger questions, if your organization is ready to change have to do with a, you know, uh, how many changes is your organization going through at the current time? Is there, for example, if you're doing a CRM project, are you also revamping your GL? also getting a new, you know, GL system and a new HR system and, you know, restructuring your internal staff and, I don't know, um, tripling your fundraising goal. Like, that's a lot. I wouldn't recommend doing all of those things, like just to look at the landscape of changes that are happening at your organization, because this one, a CRM implementation change, is a big one. So just understanding how much change is happening And does your organization and the people who will be involved in the project have the bandwidth, have space and time to be committed? Because it's a lot of work, as you know, Alicia, and I thought you did a great job with that, preparing your team, because um, that doesn't always happen, because it's sometimes I think what you see is 
folks think, yeah, and I get it because they pay a lot of money for the consultants like us to come in and help, but we don't do all of it. It's requires a lot, a lot of actually more work on the organization. And um, I think also having realistic goals, you know, um, about at the, the first year of an implementation, are you expecting to triple your fundraising goals <laughs> because of the system or because of other factors happening at your organization? So being realistic about what you're trying to achieve. Also having the funds, honestly, you know, making sure these things are expensive and making sure you have the budget for it. And I think also just readiness of the folks in your organization are people generally ready and understand the need to change to a CRM are, I mean, you're not going to have a hundred percent buy-in and at the start, everyone is excited to leave. Sometimes you do. You, there's, it's natural to have a bit of resistance, but making sure there's a general, most folks are on board that they understand why there needs to be this change to a new CRM. And I think also leadership support, you absolutely need that. You, you've got to, you know, throughout of this implementation, ha make sure you have leadership backing you. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I would actually be wary if your entire team was super excited about <laughs> yeah. an implementation because it either means you haven't fully explained the amount of time and effort that's going into right. this or everyone's blaming the technology and not looking yeah. at some of the things we talked about earlier. But to go back to some of those other considerations, I mean, I think you're right. Don't Don't be suddenly putting this into your busiest time of year, but I think there's mission considerations to, to take into account. And, and obviously there's some things none of us can plan for like COVID, yeah. but then there's others that you can that are tied directly to your strategic plan. So to your point of funding, where are you in that strategic plan cycle? Are you coming up on a budget season when you can allocate the money for this? Or are there funds somewhere that you know are available for you know, a capital project that isn't moving forward now, for example, mm. as well as other big changes to mission is a huge project launching that's going to be taking a lot of time and resources for other parts of the organization. And that means that this is just too vulnerable a time for funding for you to potentially have a disruption to business for yeah. you to undertake this work. That's a great, yeah, that's that's really important. That, I mean, like you said, if, you know, I, I liked how you approached Alicia, what I saw on your end of being accepting of risks that will happen and planning for that. And so just worst case scenario, do you have the funds for, you know, you know, you know how they say with the construction project have at least 30% more allocated <laughs> just in case. I remember learning about that and you don't need to tell the consultants that just, but internally just make sure you're prepared. No, you're right. And, and the point about going live too, I, I don't think can be understated. And, and that was certainly a lesson for me on it, that there's a sense that when you go live, you're done, but you're never really done. You know, it's rightly mentioned in, in this paper as well, that you're going to need continued investment to keep your database current and optimized. It's unfortunately no longer a set it and forget it type of project. And so, you know, you just alluded to having those extra funds on hand, but what are some things that people should think about when they're planning or considering those continued investments? I think it's really, I think, Alicia, the project that we worked on, you had rightly, you kind of prompted an internal change at Heller too about calling it go live. We do not call it go live anymore for that reason. Um, it's called, we call it launch, system launch, even though in the industry, go live is still the term used. But for that 
reason that it's a little bit of a misnomer that on go live, everything is live. Everything is perfect. Productivity is, oh. you know, <laughs> back increased even so I think, or not even it's higher than ever before. And all the things we ever wanted in the system would be ready, you know, on that first day. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, actually, there's this, I just love this statistic because it was helpful to have actual data that supports this, but there's this, um, in the change management field, there's this organization called ProSci and they do, they compile data across the world on projects. And there's this productivity dip, productivity dip that it gets measured anytime you're going through a change. And usually these are CRM, you say implementations, there's always a productivity dip at launch or go live. That's always happens and slowly it rises back up. So I think that's helpful in thinking about planning for what I'll call it launch slash go live. What are those mission critical functions that need to be up and running and thinking about those enhancements, we'll call them enhancements or those phased, you know, ideas and improvement on business processes and planning those out after your go live because you need a period of stabilization or a time where you've just went through all this change you're getting used to these mission critical new functions letting people you know adopt to it working out all the kinks associated with that it takes quite a bit of time for that to happen and just for people to feel comfortable in that new system and that's when after that point you can start to think about those enhancements so maybe that those are things like there was a business process. Let's just say that you've identified that, you know, this could be better. We could change this up, but we could do with what we have, but let's put that on a, you know, a future enhancement list, or maybe there's, you know, there's, you're going to build out or a, a new part of your CRM include a department that never was on a shared system. They maybe they had their own little database or, Excel spreadsheet with their data. And that's like a nice, you know, future enhancement thing after the core group has gotten used to the system. Yeah, that's great. And I think calling out that everyone should expect a slight dip in efficiency and productivity and maybe even your results in the, is so important to keep in mind when we're looking at budgets and seasonality for when we want to launch. Um, also really happy to hear that launch is my legacy. <laughs> I like that. I'll take it. <laughs> um, well, Smita, I mean, anything else for folks? Are there resources that you would recommend or places where you would recommend people go if they want to, you know, find out more to share with their leadership, for example, if this is a conversation happening internally right now? Yeah. So um, I would definitely, you re re referenced that guide that we just came out with, even though we are constantly doing implementations, it was nice to, this guide really speaks to like, maybe it's not the right decision to move to a new CRM because there's lots of, you really have to think about that carefully. And there's also a lot of opportunity to optimize and streamline your existing CRM. So I highly recommend before making the decision that, you know, reading something like that to make sure you've thought thought it through carefully. Um, we have a lot of resources if you really are, you know, decided that it's time to go to a new CRM. 
Um, I, and I'll share that later, Alicia, uh, some blogs and things we've written about the costs that you need to think about when um, implementing to a new system. And that could be a helpful resource in how you think about it, because sometimes I think pricing this out, it may seem like, oh, it's just the product, you know, the new product. No, there's, as you know, there's a lot more um, involved in that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a couple of things I'll share. And also I think getting your, your team ready for this change. I think there's, you have a lot of good stuff that the earlier you can get ahead with that, getting your organization ready, just from a org culture perspective, the better, you know, the experience will be when the change happens. Are there best practices or behaviors you've seen for organizations who do go ahead and make the leap that, you know, are there common traits for those who succeed and those who fail? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, a key thing that pops up, and this is something that I, I had to learn after many lessons learned, and I actually didn't believe this for a while, but sponsorship is critical. Um, and I'll say that because I kind of thought sponsorship was, this is some le someone in leadership who is going to back the project. I had previously thought that meant that person just signs a check and that's it. But I've been through projects where the sponsor by not being active or visible or even kind of in the way can break a project, can completely destroy a project. It's good sponsorship can make all of a difference. It can just really, um, it sets the stage, the tone for everyone involved in the project. Just the, you know, the tone and the support and accountability and just the reinforcement of why are we doing this project? Oh yeah, it's important to the organization. It's not just important for this department, but there's a reason it's attached to, you know, the strategic goals of the organization. So I think sponsorship and leadership support is critical. Another thing is, you know, really understanding who is impacted by this CRM implementation and thinking expansively about it. It's not just the power users, but really thinking about everyone. And so, you know, for some internally who's impacted and even externally, really think about that and what that impact is. And if you think through all of it, you're not going to, nothing's going to come by surprise. So for example, sometimes if you, if you map this out, like we call it a stakeholder map, who's impacted by the CRM change, this implementation internally in your org and externally. So it's really good to really think about all those different stakeholders impacted. Those are great things to call out. And I think they speak to how much of the underlying work has to happen before something like this is even undertaken. And going back to our original point that so often it's not the technology that makes or breaks these things. It's the human side of it um, and dealing with those organizational politics that can make or break the success of an initiative like this. <laughs> um, it, it really makes me think about, you know, to your point with stakeholders and them having a voice at the table that it's so easy for groups to leave people out if there's groups that they just don't value mm -hmm. um, in the organization or as part of their program. And you see that reflected in their databases, even if they won't be explicit about it. Like you'll see that structures are missing or things that would support those programs just aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Because that program isn't valued. So it, it, the truth is there, even if people aren't willing to, to totally cop up to it. 
That's right. Well, thank you again for making the time today. I know we're all juggling a thousand things, but I really appreciate it. So thank you again. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Alicia. This is, this is a lot of fun and I love talking about this stuff with you. So hopefully it's been helpful. Thanks to Smita for joining me today and sharing what we should be thinking about before we leap into changing our CRM. She's also shared three white papers from Heller, which you'll be able to see on the show notes at goodfundraising.net slash podcasts or at their website, teamheller.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing and sharing with your colleagues. And if you have an idea for an upcoming topic, please send me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, please remember to keep being nice and doing good.